Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this final leg of Season 5, I'm reading my way through every single goddamn page in The Revenge of Kang, the final module in the Time Warp Adventure series for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes role-playing game. And as I do, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on each page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Revenge of Kang was written by Ray Winninger and was published in 1990. Today we're discussing page 31 of The Revenge of Kang. Today continues chapter 11, The Test of Courage. As we discovered yesterday, The Test of Courage it turns out to consist of walking into a 100% lethal death trap and then coming out again. So the name is misleading. Courage is necessary but not sufficient for this test. You also have to be able to live. We're going to be following all three of our hero teams into this honest-to-god dungeon crawl. The first we've had since... Geez, I guess the Chronovore's brain, and even that wasn't a proper dungeon crawl. This is a proper dungeon crawl. This is rooms, some of which are featureless, hallways, corridors. Sometimes you lift up something and there's a monster under there. This is a true dungeon crawl. And while this dungeon doesn't have treasure exactly, it does have its rewards. Number one, if Ford's Furies make it through alive, they will have passed the last test in their trial and they will be declared innocent of offending the spirits by putting out the Kokri beacon, which is the legal battle that they've been engaged in pretty much the whole module to this point. And most importantly, this dungeon crawl also holds the truth about the Kokri, the hidden backstory of this pocket dimension. I know you've been waiting for that shit. I mean, I've received countless emails and tweets demanding to know the secret history of the pocket dimension no one cares about. Well, today it can be revealed. But let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the entrance to the dungeon. Quote, the obvious first step for the PCs is to enter the complex. Next to the broad entrance is a hand panel. Any pressure on this panel opens the main door. Touching the big obvious thing is the only way to get into the complex. There is that rear entrance that you're supposed to reach from the front entrance. You can try to enter there, but there's no way. That door won't open. And the walls are monstrous strength material, so they're going to be very difficult to bring down. The only solution is to touch the big obvious thing. Or to be the vision, obviously the secret solution to this as to all problems. But anyway, all of that is to say there's a button and you push it. Quote, as soon as the PCs enter the complex, they find themselves in a short, narrow corridor. Once all of the heroes have entered, the main door quickly reseals itself. There is now no way to open this door from within the complex. The heroes must leave through the back exit. Seems kind of inconvenient. I don't know why really the original owners of this place, uh, which, spoilers, was their workplace, would engage in this supermarket-style entrance and exit design where there's the indoor and then you got to go all the way through the building to get to the outdoor. But whoever these shadowy original owners were, they were inscrutable beings, as evidenced by the trap that is about to severely laser some unwitting superheroes. Quote, The first hero who attempts to leave the small entry foyer automatically trips one of the complex's hidden anti-intruder defense mechanisms. The defense mechanism causes a screen of lasers to spring from the ceiling and form a curtain, which inflicts excellent energy damage upon the first hero crossing the threshold. Now, it does say here, if the hero can pass an excellent intensity intuition feat roll, then they can notice this trap before they cross it and pull back. Now, that's not too difficult in intuition roll, but of course, the hero on each team who has to make this roll is not whoever's best at intuition, but whoever's in the lead, whoever crosses the threshold first. As it happens, probably all of the teams we're following will avoid this trap. Super Ball has remarkable intuition, as well as a force field and poor impulse control, so it makes sense that she would be out front of the Misfits. Iron Blood has both the greatest durability 
and the keenest overall senses among the members of Ford's Furies due to his blood's high iron content, and Trupa is the only significantly armored member of the secret Zoomers, and they've also got remarkable intuition. So our heroes should not be taken off guard by this thing. And as it turns out, the element of surprise is essential to the functioning of this quote-unquote anti-intruder screen, because quote, once the energy screen has been activated, it will remain in place for three rounds, which I remind you is 18 seconds, and then switch off, taking the next two rounds to reset itself. So in addition to the first ordeal, getting into the complex where you have to push a button, there's this secondary security measure where if you're walking down the hallway, deadly lasers block your path for 18 seconds, then switch off and can't turn on again for 12 seconds, long enough for even the slowest of superheroes to pass. I grant you, All Ears is essentially unconscious right now and immobile, but he can be easily carried. He's very light, just one of the advantages of being mostly cartilage. And if you've got anybody on the team who doesn't feel confident in their ability to traverse the width of a laser beam in 12 seconds, then you can make a remarkable intensity reason roll to disable the trap. At this point, our heroes enter the main hallway. This is where the map comes into play. And if you'd like to follow along on the map, you can go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast, check out the visual companion for today and a free post for everyone. I'll post pictures of the floor of the complex that we're talking about today. If you take a look at that map, you'll see that our heroes have two options. They can go left or they can go right. In either direction, the first thing that our heroes will encounter is a door in the wall of the corridor. And in either case, that door will lead to quarters, the most boring type of room. As all dungeon designers know, quarters are difficult to make interesting. Here, no attempt was made. It says in the description, quote, each contains the remnants of a bed, chair, table, and chest of drawers. Any personal items belonging to the residents have long since disintegrated. There is a 40% chance that any of these rooms the heroes enter is occupied by a single acid snake. See below for stats and details. Yes, the only thing you need to take away from this description of the quarters is the acid snake. There's nothing under any of the beds. There's nothing in any of the drawers. An entire chest of drawers in every one of the eight lovingly mapped quarters, all of them totally empty. So none of the other contents matters, but you're going to want to remember these acid snakes. We're going to be seeing a lot of these little beady-eyed, corrosive, dripping faces because the author, I think, understood when dungeon exploration is boring, it's because there are no stakes. And when there are no stakes, what's needed is pressure and danger. And when you need something to be dangerous, what do you do? Put a fucking snake under it. Preferably an acid snake, if available. And goddamn are they available. We got a surplus. Come on down to the pocket dimension complex. We got snakes out the wazoo. We're giving these snakes away. Got money burning a hole in your pocket? Why settle? We've got snakes that'll burn a hole through your whole goddamn body. Anyway, y you'll see. So... Our heroes may check out the quarters, they may not, it doesn't matter. Maybe they get weird snake bites, maybe they don't. As they proceed down the hallway, depending on whether they go left or right, they're going to encounter one of two different obstacles. On the left, they will find the following, quote, Two rusted through water pipes intermittently fill the corridor with hot steam here. This steam inflicts excellent heat damage upon anyone that passes through the corridor here. Anyone that passes a remarkable intensity strength feet roll can bend the pipes out of the way and clear the passage but he or she automatically takes the steam damage while doing so. And it goes on to say that if you prefer, you can run through by making an agility feat roll. If our heroes go to the right, they will instead find rubble. Quote, part of the complex structure collapsed here well over 100 years ago, blocking off the corridor with a huge pile of heavy rubble. Removing enough of the rubble to pass through requires three separate incredible intensity, strength, or power feat rolls. That's right, if you want to go this direction through the hallway, you'll have to make a series of identical rolls to move rocks. Doesn't sound very dramatic, does it? Well, guess what? Snakes, that's what. Quote, living in the rubble pile are three acid snakes, which will attack anyone disturbing their nest. 
See below for stats and details. Now, incredible intensity strength rolls are going to be pretty tough to make. You're going to want to strength at least amazing to have a good chance of making those, and you do need to make three of them. So even if you've got people with incredible strength, superhuman strength on the team, like Glass Cannon, you'd still need to have multiple characters like that working together. Very difficult, a pain in the ass, and when you're part of the way through, you get bit by acid snakes. This is what you get for refusing to take a face full of burning steam. What part of Test of Courage didn't you understand? You have earned the wages of cowardice, and they are snakes. Whether our heroes pass by the steam pipes or the snake-infested rubble, as soon as they get past one of those obstacles, they now have access to the door to a storage room, and if they loop all the way around the hallway, they can also reach the other storage room. There are two on this floor. What treasures of the past could remain in the storage room of this advanced complex that has been sealed for so long? Quote, These areas were once used for supply storage. They now contain the dusty remains of crates and metallic casings. None of the items which were once stored in these containers remain. What comes next? Guess what comes next? Quote, There's a 60% chance any storage area entered by the PCs is occupied by a single acid snake. We're now up to 10 rooms on this map that consists of 12 rooms if you count the hallway, which have no interesting features. If you're looking at the map, you'll see that is every single one of the 10 doors lining this hallway, including the two invisible doors they forgot to put on the map. Every one of them leads to a room with nothing interesting in it, except possibly an acid snake. So after traversing an obstacle and then being burned by this empty storage room, possibly literally by a snake, our heroes proceed. All that remains is the room at the center of this level, the computer lab. Quote, this room houses the complex's main computer unit, which is surprisingly still functional. Anyone passing an excellent intensity reason feat can reactivate the computer and access a personal log of the complex to learn the following. Here's the big reveal, and I'm going to quote at length here just to get all the information out. Because if I stop every time I have a question or an objection, uh, this podcast will literally never end, and that would make it hard to edit. Quote, The complex and the spire were built eons ago by a race known as the Quokrillians. The spire is a navigational beacon constructed to aid in time and dimension travel, while the complex served as a base of operations to the workers who operated and maintained the beacon. Almost all of the Quokrillians were killed 100 of years ago, presumably meant to say hundreds, although as we'll see, the numbers are all very hazy. Quote, almost all of the Quokrillians were killed 100 of years ago when a horde of acid snakes, peculiar reptiles native to this dimension, burrowed up through the floor of the base and overran the main complex after the subterranean cave in which the snakes formerly resided was shifted by an earthquake and filled with lava. A few of the aliens escaped the snakes and fled, but there is no record of them ever returning to the complex. And finally, just before the PCs sign off on the computer, a video image of the emblem of the Quokrillian will appear on the screen. The emblem shows a ship careening through space with the legend, Skill, Wisdom, Courage the Quokrillian's motto, scrawled above it. This motto is still revered today by the Kokri. Clever players can probably use this information to figure out the Kokri are the descendants of the original aliens. The Quokrillians who escaped the complex must have slipped back to a primitive lifestyle due to the difficulty of surviving out in the desert. All of the other data banks are inoperative, and there is no other information to be found here. So, dumbest thing on this page right off the bat. The tragic fall of the Quokrillian civilization in the pocket dimension due to too many snakes. But that's a gloss. Look, that's a headline. Civilization ends, semicolon, snakes to blame. I want to go deeper than that. I want to reconstruct events. So here's what I've got. I've got some notes on this page. Here's what happened. The Quokrillians, uh, they're, a, they're a time-faring species. They travel through time and dimensions. They wanted to visit this godforsaken pocket dimension 
regularly for some reason to research or whatever. We'll see later. There's a research lab here. So to make it easier to reach this place, which, as we discovered, to our eternal regret, uh, it's much easier to get into than to get out of. To make it easier to come and go, they built this big dimensional beacon eons ago. Or if you prefer the account given on the previous page, which says, quote, The main complex was actually built by the ancestors of the Kokri several hundred years ago. Uh, hundreds of years ago. But eons, hundreds of years, whatever. The buildings are old. That's the point. Somewhere between 200 years ago and an eon ago, the Quokrillians built this big beacon, and they built a research facility, which is what this complex is. There was a crew of Quokrillians to operate this station, to do the research, and to maintain the beacon. Then, hundreds of years ago, or maybe just 100 of years ago, the floor of this research facility just busted open, and a, and a flood of snakes came through. Just crawled right up out of the floor, presumably in the middle of a workday. Let's give the Quokrillians their due and acknowledge this is a horrifying thing to happen at your job. I don't know where you work, dear listener. I don't know you personally, but picture yourself at work. Let's say you've just come back from some kind of a break. You're ready to get back to work. You're a little off your guard. You walk into a familiar location that you see every day, and suddenly the floor bursts open, and the floor and walls are covered in acid-dripping snakes. This is a rough day at the office for anybody. I mean, no doubt you'll get to go home early today. Maybe that's worth a flood of poisonous snakes. Anyway, all due respect to the experience of the Quokrillians, this is a horrifying turn of events. However, here's what happens next. These snakes coming up out of the floor. They kill almost all of the Quokrillians, but a few of them manage to get out. I'm not totally sure how this happened. Uh, the snakes only inflict like 10 damage apiece. This is a two-story structure. The quarters are upstairs. Pretty much everybody is in a room behind a door. You know, it's not like the snakes came out uniformly from every spot. There's like one place, like one opening in the floor the snakes poured out of. So somehow these snakes, however, managed to get into everywhere and kill almost everyone on both floors of the structure before the Quokrillians, who at this point must have been ruining their decision to use the supermarket style one entry, one exit system, uh, almost all of them die. So a few escape. There's no record of them ever returning to the complex. Fast forward to the present, a few hundred years later, probably, and the Quokrillians have degenerated into the Kokri, who have greater psychic ability, but they've lost their culture completely. They don't know how to operate Quokrillian technology. They don't remember their own history. I mean, they've had time to physically evolve somehow. Here are my questions. You know the Kokri. We, you're, we're, we all know the Kokri. We're sick of the Kokri. We, we understand who they are. Here are my questions about how we got to this point. Number one. How did the snakes get through the monstrous strength material this complex is made of? And if they did do that all over the complex, why aren't we seeing a lot of snake-shaped holes in the walls and in the floor? Because if the snakes did not just, like, spit out gouts of acid and speed run their way through this entire structure, which would leave a lot of holes, I don't see how they achieved the kill rate that they canonically did here. Which brings me to question number two. How do you lose almost an entire research and maintenance crew to a single incidence of snakes coming up out of the floor. How many snakes are we talking about? Because these snakes, I mean, they inflict 10 damage with their bite and six more from acid. Six. Typical damage, like getting punched by an average person. Altogether, you add the fangs to the acid, but getting bit by one of these snakes hurts about as much as getting punched simultaneously by two regular people and one weakling. Like think of a man, a woman, and they've got a 10-year-old, and the whole family surrounds you and punches you. One time. That's how much it hurts to get bit by one of these snakes. Much more forgiving than real life snakes. How many snakes of that destructive capacity does it take to massacre the staff in a two-story building? Even with this death trap situation where there's one exit, 
These seem like exceptionally huge losses for a single snake incident. And that single snake incident, not only did it take out an awful lot of researchers and workers, but also it never ended. This is what you're encountering here. All these snakes popping out from under shit. This is the same snake incident. Which brings me to question number three. Did the survivors, we know uh, there were probably like eight Kokri, let's say, who got out. Did these surviving Kokri and any other members of their civilization they were able to contact, did they have no ideas for how to clear out the snakes in one two-story building? I mean, not just on the day, but to the extent that like they and their posterity lost their culture completely and became a brand new physically evolved hunter-gatherer culture with an animistic belief system. Like They let that happen because they had no idea how to get back into this two-story building and make the snakes leave. This is like if uh, you and your family came home from vacation and you found a mean dog in your house or your apartment and you didn't know how to deal with this mean dog. So you decided to just abandon civilization and become a cannibal gang roaming the streets, eking out a living on the flesh and the carried wealth of other human beings. Like it seems like an overreaction. I understand dogs are scary, but if I run into a 10th generation cannibal gang member and find out that this all started because somebody saw a mean dog in their house and had no better ideas than to abandon civilization and start eating motherfuckers, I do hold that person responsible. With time, with effort, with planning, with courage, remember courage? It's in the fucking Quilquillian motto. I know you know about courage. With all that and, and time, I bet you could have taken that dog. And I think the Quilquillians should have been able to take these snakes. But I'm willing for the purposes of this episode, before we look at the evidence on tomorrow's page, for the purposes of today, we can stipulate there was nothing the Quilquillians could do about these snakes. This brings me to question number four. How exactly did this catastrophic snake infestation, this civilization-ending infestation of one building by snakes, how did this affect the actual, like, lives and fate of these Quilquillians? Like, did it really, did it really change anything for them other than work ending early on account of snakes? Because the complex does not contain their, their time machine or dimensional travel machine or anything like that. It isn't their only shelter. It isn't their power source. It isn't their means of communication with home, right? They've got the beacon. What exactly has changed for them other than not being able to go in to work? They've got a place to stay. They've got power. They've got their advanced technology. They've got the beacon to communicate with home. And I don't know how these workers got to this pocket dimension or how they were intending to leave, but presumably they either had a vehicle of their own or they had a ride planned or they were set up to call for a ride when they needed one. I don't feel like the loss of this one building should have ended civilization for these survivors. To return to our modern day example, there's no need to turn to cannibalism here because you still have your money and your phone and your car and you could perhaps stay at a hotel. You, you don't need to immediately jump to ambushing, carving up and consuming, even if you have to stay at like a Motel 6. I know it seems unthinkable now, but to do that, you save maybe 10 generations of your descendants from the life of the roving cannibal. It's worth it. I cannot understand why the Quirquillians would not have called home. Wouldn't someone have come to check on them? I mean, these people had jobs. You know, they were researchers who I assume either were transmitting their findings home to someone or were going to take them with them back to their home when they left, like when their ride came or when they took their vehicle and, and went home. Someone somewhere was paying for this and waiting for these research results. These Quilquillians had a job. Didn't anyone at any point notice, hey, it's been a couple of months. We haven't gotten any of those manila envelopes full of cutting edge data about the boring pocket dimension. Maybe we should we go check on them. Somebody from home should have given them a call. 
And then when the Quokrillian survivors had come on the vid screen or whatever, wearing like badly tanned animal hides with blood smeared all over their faces, then their boss at the Quokrillian University or whatever would have known, let's go give these people a ride home. Let's debrief them. Let's hear their tale of woe about the day when they saw a bunch of snakes and immediately forgot about civilization. And the story is the thing, like the tip-top dumbest thing. And there are others, like, okay, eight Quokrillian survive. It's been somewhere between 200 years and eons. There now appear to be 50 Kokri, based on the evidence in the other pages of this book. That's a weird number of Kokri for there to be. Like, it's weird for a starting population of eight to become 50 over a period of time long enough for dramatic physical evolution. But putting that aside, the story. These Kokri do not remember what's in this complex. It's snakes. Do none of you remember? Have none of you been told the tale? The one goddamn thing you should have been told by your dumbass ancestors who fled this building. There are snakes in there. That's why we left. That's why we abandoned civilization, because there are snakes in that building. You know how there are three buildings <laughs> in our world that we live in? One of those buildings is full of snakes. This is information that should have been conveyed down through the generations. These fucking Kokri today, they know nothing about acid snakes. They've lost their heritage. I think if they remember some version of the Quokrillian motto, they have these other tidbits, these bits and pieces, they kind of know what the beacon is for in a weird, again, like animistic way. Somebody should have a clue. There should be some vestige of cultural knowledge that we used to be cool. We used to stride across the boring pocket dimension as gods. But then snakes came out of the floor and our forebears abandoned the building, ceded it to the snakes. And that is when the post-snake era began and we descended to this fallen state. How do you forget about the snakes? That is the dumbest thing on this page. But there's more. There's so much more. There are two more pages of Dungeon Crawl. There are further revelations. Some of these questions I've raised may even be answered. Join me next time as the expedition to Snake House continues on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Take Us to the Nearest Starbase by Astrometrics whose work you can find at soundcloud.com slash astrometricsband.